Let's turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 13. And I think you just got a glimpse there that this would be another one of those lists. And I'm sure you're thinking, what's he going to do with this one again? Well, there is much to learn here. I have several applications, about seven of them, that we'll be going through today, trying to quicken our hearts to not only appreciate uh, such chapters as these, but also uh, for the reality of that we need to apply these things to us. And very easily just to read over these things quickly, get over them. Oh, I'm done with another chapter. Mark that off in my Bible or my uh, little checklist of things to do. And while that's in and of itself very noble, yet we also need to realize there's some application to us here. Uh, you'll have to bear with me as I try to read all of these verses this morning as we look to this. Chapter 13. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remaineth, all the borders of the Philistines, and all uh, Jeshurai, and from, or from Shihar, which is before Egypt, even unto the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanite, five lords of the Philistines, the Gazathites, and the Ashtothites, and the Eshkalonites, and the Gittites, and the Ekronites, and also the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Merah, which is, that is beside the Sidonians, unto Aphek, to the borders of the Ammonite. And the land of the Giblites, and all Lebanon, toward the sun rising, from Baalgad, unto Mount Hermon, unto the entering into Hamath. All the inhabitants of the land, country, from Lebanon unto Mizrahfathmaim, all and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance, as I have commanded thee. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh, with whom the Reubenites and the Gadites have received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond Jordan eastward, even as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. From Aror, that is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the river, and all the plain of Medeba unto Dibon, and all the cities of Shihon king of the Amorites, which reigned in Heshbon unto the border of the children of Ammon, and Gilead, and the border of the Yeshurites and the Maacathites and all Mount Hermon and all Bashan unto Salkot. All the kingdom of Og and Bashan which reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edrai who remained of the remnant of the giants from these did Moses smite and cast them out. Nevertheless the children of Israel expelled not the Yeshurites nor the Maacathites but the Gersherites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites unto this day. Only unto the tribe of Levi he gave none inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire their inheritance, as he said unto them. And Moses gave unto the tribe of the children of Reuben inheritance according to their families. And their coast was from Aurora, that is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the river, and all the plain by Medeba. Uh, Heshbon and all her cities that are in the plain, Dibon and Bamothbaal and Bethbaal-Meo and Jeazra and Kedemoth and Metherah and Kurjethim and Sibma and 
Zareth Shahar in the Mount of the Valley, and Beth Peor and Ashdoth Pisgah, and Beth Jeshemoth, and all the cities of the plain, and all the kingdom of Shihon, king of the Amorites, which reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses smote with the princes of Midden, Eva and Recham, and Shur and Hur, and Reba, which are dukes of Shion, dwelling in the country. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was Jordan, and the border thereof. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben after their families, the cities, and the villages thereof. And Moses gave inheritance unto the tribe of Gad, even unto the children of Gad, according to their families. And their coast was Jazer, and all the cities of Gilead, and half the tr- land of the children of Ammon, unto Arurah, that is, before Rabah. And from Heshbon unto Ramath, Mezpah, and Bethamon, and from Mahanim unto the border of Deber. And in the valley, Betharam, and Bethnera, and Sukoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Shihon, king of Heshbon, Jordan, and his border, even unto the edge of the sea of Chinnereth, on the other side, Jordan, eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad after their families, the cities, and their villages. And Moses gave inheritance unto the half-tribe of Manasseh, and this was the possession of the half-tribe of the children of Manasseh by their families. And their coast was from Mahathnaim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, threescore cities, and half Gilead, and, ha- and Ashtaroth, and Edorite, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, were pertaining unto the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, even the one half of the children of Maker by their families. These are the countries which Moses did distribute for inheritance in the plains of Moab, on the other side Jordan, by Jericho, eastward. But unto the tribe of Levi Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Well, in chapter 12, we saw the great success of the army of Israel under the leadership of Joshua, as well as under the leadership of Moses, if you remember back in the Pentateuch. In chapter 13 here, we read at the beginning that Joshua here is aged. He has uh, gotten old. In fact, the Lord himself reminds him of this. Notice again in verse thir- chapter 13 and verse 1, Thou art old and stricken in years. This is the Lord himself saying this to him. He will die, according to chapter 24 and verse 29, at the age of 110. That too again is mentioned in Judges chapter 2 and also verse 8. One commentator says he was about 85 years old, probably a little bit less, but around 85 years old when he did march across the Jordan River uh, as they entered into the Canaan land. So he was old even then, even by our standards and of course by their standards as well of that day. So at this point in our chapter, he, we see here that he's old and he is stricken in years. And we see then that that phrase is significant. He's no young fellow anymore. And then in chapter 13, we see, uh, for actually for the next several chapters, uh, the distribution and the layout of the land that the children of Israel are to receive and have already received, as a matter of fact, at least in some portions. Now, at the beginning of chapter 13, this lets us know that there is still more land, though, to be taken. Notice that after he told Joshua, you're getting old, he says, and there remaineth yet very much land to be 
possessed. So they weren't done. There was a lot more to go. And then we read the rest of this as all the things and the places that they are to be receiving. Okay, we know that's the basics. Now, what does this give us for a lesson today or lessons in this chapter? And as I said, I have several that I would like to go through this morning. First of all, we notice here, as we mentioned already, that Joshua is old and stricken. Now, in Moses' day, if you go back again to the passages dealing with Joshua, he was actually called a young man. But here, he is old and he's stricken in years. What a contrast in his time. What a contrast as far as his age is concerned. Once he was young, and now he is very old. And so it will be for you here this morning who are young. You'll be young. You're young now. And if God spares your life, there will be a day in which you will be much older. You too will be young and stricken in age. This is part of the corruption of sin. This is the gift, as we would say, that came down from the fall of Adam. Because of Adam's transgression, you and I grow old and we become stricken in years. Now, for those of you who are young, you need to make note of Solomon's exhortation in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, as he's closing out all of the wisdom that he has given, excuse me, not Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, excuse me, the Ecclesiastes, the wisdom that he's been given about the vanity of life, he warns the young folks. And he says this in verse 7, Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. It's not going to be an easy life, he says. Rejoice, O man, in, that thy, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Now notice he kind of plays with them here in verse 9. He says, go ahead, live like you want. But know this, there's going to be a day that you will pay for it. There will be a day that you will be judged. Live on. Have your fun. Eat, drink, and be merry. But know this, children. You'll have a day where you will be reckoned with with God. And it may be in this life, but for certain, it will be in the life to come. And I can say that to children, and I can say that to adults here this morning. All of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And we may plead the blood of Christ and all that kind of stuff, but the verses still stick. He's going to judge us. What will that include? I don't know. But we better be careful. Well, why would we have such a warning? And again, children, listen to me. Give heed. Know now. Remember the Creator in thy youth. And he goes on to say in that very thing, Remember now the Creator in the youth, days of thy youth. While the evil days are come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You're going to get old. And it won't be fun anymore. You'll have your aches and your pains and your sorrows and your sicknesses. And you can remain the remainder of that chapter and see. It's a fact. 
Not that the Word is fuddy-duddy. He's telling us here hard, cold facts. There's sorrowful days coming for those who do not remember their Creator. And even those who do, it will still be a hard life for us. That's the first lesson. Joshua is getting old. He is old. He's tasting the results of that. Notice he's stricken in years. The second thing is they had more land to possess of. Notice again verse 2 or verse 1. He says, There remaineth very, yet very much land to be possessed. And so what he's telling Mo, uh, Joshua here is, I'm sure the children of Israel know this as well, now is not the time to stop. There is much more to do. There is always much more to do. We have, by God's grace, dear beloved, passed from death unto life, those of us who are Christians. But let me assure you this morning, this is only the beginning. When we're saved, this is only the beginning of this life that we ought to be living. There's more land to take. There's more enemies to battle against. And when one enemy falls in our Christian life, you know what? There's going to be another. That's just how the battle goes. Until there is complete victory. There there will always be an enemy that will rise up against us. The flesh, the devil, the world doesn't lay down just because we're a Christian. And some have that foolish thought that everything is going to be well and I won't have to battle all of my inclinations any longer because I'm a Christian. God is going to take that completely away. That's a lie. Surely we're not under its dominion any longer. But brethren, we're still going to have to fight as Christians. And it's true, at last we're going to have the victory. But until that final victory comes, either at death or at the Lord's coming, there are many battles in between. And there is a great inheritance waiting for us. In fact, there are better promises that even the children of Israel received. Notice in Hebrews 10. He's talking about the laying out of land here. That was their inheritance. It was very important to them. It was very dear, that land. Just as I'm sure Americans have have counted the U.S. of A. in which we live as a very precious... There are people who give their lives for this, or have, and are. Whatever their thinking may be, or whatever the thinking of our government may be when they send boys over, At least the spill they're telling us is to preserve us. So this is a reality. A real reality. So we have something better than some earthly promise, don't we? Hebrews 10 verse 32 says, But call to remembrance the former days in which ye were illuminated. Ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyful of the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. There is a promise which we're still going to. And now is not the time to draw back and to stop. As hard as the battle is, as much land as 
spiritually speaking, there is to possess. We dare not stop. We must not. Thirdly, as we mentioned here, Joshua is going to pass on. Moses already has. So that teaches us here, godly leaders, spiritual godly leaders, men who lead us, do come and they do go. They move on. They live and then they die. We've given the example already of Moses passing away. The children of Israel will see him no more in this life. Joshua, who's old and stricken in years, and in just a matter of a few more years, is going to be dead. And while we ought to live under the lights of those who are before us, who are leaders to us, we ought to profit and draw from their character as godly men, as godly leaders. We ought to believe in their sound beliefs, yet they will as well pass off the scene. But are we, what are we to do when they do? Stop? Because they stopped? No, we're to continue on, aren't we? We should be thankful that God has given them to us, but we cannot stop because God has taken them from us. Isaiah remind, I believe it's Isaiah who reminds us that there will be a generation that when the righteous die, no one will heed it. No one takes notice. No one thinks why. The righteous are removed. We better. We better. But the fact is, they live, they move on. They do. What will you do? Give up? Or will you go on? Press on. There's more land to possess. Whether you have Joshua, whether you have Moses or not, there's still more land that has to be taken. Fourthly, a sad note, but a true note. We will fail in areas of the Christian walk. We are going to fail in the areas of our Christian walk. I'm not making excuses. I'm telling you the reality of it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So I have to reckon with that truth in our Christian walk. My Christian walk. Your Christian walk. And just as Israel failed to take the land as they ought, notice verse 13 of our chapter. Nevertheless, the children of Israel expel not the Jeshurites nor the Maacathites, but the Jeshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites unto this day. They didn't drive them out. They didn't remove them. They didn't take it what, they, what rightly belonged unto them. Well, so will we. We will fail as well. The world and the devil and the flesh will, at times, defeat us. But we have to plot on anyway, don't we? There is still more land to take. There is an inheritance that is a very sure thing that is going to be ours. And also we need to remember that we do have a very great advocate who is on our side. Jesus Christ, the righteous John tells us in his short epistle that this very thing, you know, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The next chapter, my little children, these things are I write I unto you, that ye sin not. This is the purpose. Don't sin. And if any man sin, that's going to happen. Verses 8 and 10 of the previous chapter. What do we have? 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is our propitiation. He is the one who has appeased God's anger and His wrath in His death. So, while we may fail, and we will, we have an advocate, we have a captain who is our, of our salvation, and we must still press on. Israel had a lot of land to possess, and yet they weren't going to possess it all. They were going to have some failures. And God is going to leave those particular nations in that land to prove and to test them, as we taught as we went through the book of Judges. That's like remaining corruption, isn't it? He leaves it in us to prove and to test us, not to waller in it, but to see what we're going to do and how we'll react. Another thing we note here, Israel in this case was receiving an earthly inheritance. But we have one that we have even now. Ephesians tells us that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, even at this moment. I know you look around and you say, nope, that's not where I'm at. I'm actually here at 125 Southwest Gage. And you would, as far as reality, that's concerned, Yes. But there is another reality, there is another spiritual truth we, not, we need to grasp. That brethren, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus as I speak this morning. Those of you who are believers in Christ, you have that inheritance. Look at the text in Ephesians 2. It's in the present tense. We are there. And that's just a foretaste of what is really going to be ours one day. The Levites, you remember, as we saw here, weren't to receive an inheritance. Their inheritance was the Lord. You say, well, they were because they were priests. Well, that's right. And so are we. We're priests and kings unto God. According to Revelation and 1 Peter. Our inheritance is not this plot of land here on earth. Our inheritance is the Lord God Himself. He is our portion. So that's another thing we can note here. Another lesson. Another lesson we can learn, number six, is that in our battles, God is our true helper. Notice again verse six. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon unto Mizramothmaim and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. Who does that? It's God. God does it. He is the one who helps us. It's true, Joshua led them, but we have a greater Joshua, do we not? Who is the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Another lesson we can learn from this, though a lot of land still remain to be possessed, yet we can also say from this chapter, very much land had already been taken. You can read that in verses 10 Verse 12, verse 21, verse 27, and also verses 30 and 31. They had taken a lot. And sometimes, brethren, because we see the battles ahead of us, we see the fight that still remains, all that we have to still do before we cross over that Jordan for the last time, death, and get into heaven for that heavenly inheritance, we say, wow, look what all I have to do. And to be done, not to gain our inheritance, but because we have an inheritance, we do these things. 
And we think, wow, and that can easily discourage us. And I admit that. And I'm sure it looked bleak for them. But also they needed to realize, look what has happened already. They have taken much, even under Moses, and a lot of this chapter is dealing with that very thing. Look how much land they took with Moses as their leader. And they hadn't even crossed over yet. They had taken land on the other side of Jordan. And they were taking land on this side of Jordan. And so the lesson here is, brethren, we can easily forget the past mercies and the past blessings and the past victories that God has already given us. Can't we? When we face the battle today or we face the battle tomorrow, we forget that we won yesterday or that we won last weeks ago or whatever and however that may have taken place to us. But we ought to think about those things because past mercies help us to remember the Lord's future blessings and the Lord's future help to us and our present help to us. So don't forget the land that has already been taken by us. I know that's easy to forget when we have to keep pressing on. But there is more that He has done. Excuse me. There has been much that He has done. And that ensures us that He's going to do more. I said there were seven, but there's one more. So this makes eight. It's found back in our text, chapter 13 and verse 22. Just kind of thrown in there as an afterthought, it seems like, at first. Who is it speaking of there? Balaam. You children know who Balaam was? He was that false prophet that was called up to curse the people of Israel. And what happened to him in the end? What happened to this false prophet? who seemed oh so true when you read the text. He even got revelations from God. God spoke to him. You get these people today who tell them that God speaks to them and suddenly that's a means of grace to them or that's a a proof that they are godly. Well, guess what? God spoke to Balaam. Was Balaam godly? Nope. He was a false, wicked Money-grubbing prophet. What happened to him? The last we hear of him in the Pentateuch, he is moving on home. He couldn't curse Israel. And as much as he was prompted to do so and was paid to do so, he couldn't do it, he said. In fact, in one of his visions, he said, Oh, I would die the, uh, the death of the righteous. That's what he wanted. He didn't want to die like a reprobate. He didn't want to die like the people around him. He didn't want to die like those who had hired him to curse Israel. He wanted to die like Israel. He wanted to die the death of the righteous. Verse 22 gives us an idea of what happened to Balaam, this false prophet. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, 
Notice what he's called there. A soothsayer. They have their part in the lake of fire, the scripture tells us. Balaam the soothsayer. Did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them? As much as he wanted to die the, uh, the death of a righteous man, he did not. So what's the lesson here? Well, if you turn over to the New Testament, we know the lesson, don't we? He was an example of an ungodly man. He was an example of an ungodly prophet to everybody. And though he wanted to die the, die of the, uh, the death of the righteous, and though God spoke to him, Balaam is screaming out in hell this very hour. That's a lesson to us. You may have holy desires, but if they're not walked out, you'll perish just as sure as Balaam. And you will join Him for all eternity in hell, the second death, the lake of fire. Would God, He would grant you repentance this morning to turn you from the way of Balaam, sin and unrighteousness, and grant you faith in the true Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ.